Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast, our second game podcast review of the season. East Carolina unfortunately falls to the South Carolina Gamecocks 20-17 on Parker White's last second game-winning field goal. And man, uh, we sit here on Sunday morning, still a, a frustrating day for East Carolina fans. And I uh, put in our, our VIP column, you know, on the surface you look at it, Okay, ECU loses a three-point game on a last-second field goal to an SEC team. Like, yeah, that could be seen by some outside the program as maybe a moral victory or whatever. But for those that watch the game, for those that are in it as ECU people, it's just a golden missed opportunity in terms of South Carolina was extremely gettable at home, first-year head coach, backup quarterback, issues offensively, they turned the ball over three times in the first half, really tried to hand the ball, hand the game to ECU on a silver platter at times in that first half specifically. And ECU just could not take advantage. The offense finally did score following a third turnover that gave them the ball at the 12 yard line. But outside of that, just too many missed opportunities by the offense. And one of the more dismal offensive performances we've seen at home or in ECU football history, in the recent history. It's just, it was a tough, tough game to watch offensively with so many chances. And, you know, South Carolina defensively, they're loaded, so that has something to do with it. But still, you take away the Tyler Sneed 75-yard pass on the trick play, and the offensive numbers were were less than 200 yards, 3.0 yards per play. You just got to be better with a third-year quarterback and the third year in the same system, and we'll get into a lot of that. we got a lot of questions, of course, on the Hoist of Colors message board. People are angry. You know, I think a lot of the frustration stems from, you know, obviously the six, seven years of losing for one. Two, the conference expansion news, ECU getting left behind by UCF Houston. You know, BYU, of course, not in the American, but moving on to the Big 12 as well as Cincinnati. These are teams that ECU used to be peers with and used to dominate at one point in time. ECU used to own Cincinnati. ECU used to go toe-to-toe with Houston for conference championships. UCF used to be a ring below ECU. But the past decade or two, it it has just shifted so dramatically, and ECU has not been able to recover from just a a god-awful decision by Jeff Comfer when he fired Ruff McNeil and and replaced him with Scotty Montgomery. So here we are. It's continuing to feel the effects of that, and all that's going on. ECU has a winnable game at home against an SEC team that they look like the better team for much of the game and couldn't find a way to win, and just another frustrating loss. So you have that on top of the conference expansion, plus the fact that when is ECU ever going to get an SEC team at home again? <laughs> you could argue never. I mean, with the way college football is going, these Power 5 teams are trying to go so exclusive it's been 24 years since ECU last hosted an SEC team, which was South Carolina in 1997. And so this was kind of your golden opportunity to to take advantage of a rare home game against a team that was down, and to lose it is tough to swallow. So I get the frustration. Look, people want answers. I don't know if I have the answers I said last week. I, you know, I really don't. I'll try my best to, to try and explain what's going on, but... You know, we don't have the answers. The average fan cannot watch a football game and correctly diagnose what the problems are. So, of course, we throw out, oh, the quarterback sucks. The offensive coordinator sucks. The offensive line can't protect. The receivers suck. Uh, So, 
we all throw out these ideas because we need an explanation to explain what's happening. So, you know, typically the quarterback is the brunt of the blame as lo- along with the offensive play caller. And so that's what we've seen a lot of. And yes, those guys do deserve blame for yesterday's performance. Don't get me wrong. It starts with those guys. It starts with the quarterback, Colt Naylor's. I give him a lot of credit for standing up after the game like a man and, and putting the loss and putting the performance on his shoulders. He said he played very, very badly, as did the entire offense. And we'll get more into his performance in the coming minutes. But, you know, it's it's not easy to be a college student athlete, stand up there and, and shoulder the responsibility. Some coaches have trouble doing that. So uh, I commend Holton for that. He did not play a good game. He'll be the first to admit it. Uh, we'll get into the, the quarterback situation. We got a ton of questions about that what the problems were. Um, you know, you look at the raw numbers of this game. Uh, Holton Aylers, 11 of 24, 77 yards, two touchdown or two picks, zero touchdowns. His longest completion of the day was 15 yards. Uh, Tyler Sneed, one for one, 75 yards. And, man, I, I watched that play this morning for the first time. I didn't realize how great of a throw he made. That was an absolute dime. And to start the game off with that trick play touchdown, it was uh, – it was awesome to see. So Sneed gives ECU a 7 nothing lead. It's pretty remarkable that Tyler Sneed finishes with two less passing yards than Holt Naylor's, who threw for 24 attempts. Now, 11-24, there were a handful of drops in there. I'm going to pull the number from Pro Football Focus shortly on some of the drops and who they charged those to. Uh, Rajay Harris, 14 carries, 70 yards. Keaton Mitchell, 14 carries, 42 yards. Their ground game was actually pretty good as far as if you take the sacks out of the equation. You know, you look at the net numbers, only 111 yards, 2.9 yards per carry. But that's because Holton Aylers was sacked five times. So the ground game actually was, was pretty successful. Um, and so that, I thought that was a, a major positive to get. You know, they didn't go out there and run for 200 yards, but they, they were able to line up and consistently get three to five yards against an SEC front that's probably the best front they'll see all year. So that is a positive for me, especially on that drive in the fourth quarter when they needed a long, sustained drive. They were able to turn out four to five yards a pop when South Carolina knew the run was coming. So I really do think you have something with this running game. The passing game, we'll talk about it in a minute. It's uh, got a lot of issues. Josiah Hatfield, two catches for 90 yards. Uh, he had a few drops or a few catchable balls, not goes away. Tyler Sneed finally got involved in the second half. I believe he got his first catch in the third quarter, five catches, 35 yards. C.J. Johnson, two catches, 15 yards, just not productive right now. Cam Smith, the South Carolina cornerback, was on him for the majority of the game, and he's their best DB. Thought he did a tremendous job, but you know, at some point, C.J. has got to be C.J. We talked about it all offseason. If your best receiver, in terms of pure talent, is not performing consistently and not getting open, he's not getting any separation, that's the other thing. I just did not notice a lot of guys open, um, especially outside the numbers. And when Holton did try to throw the ball to C.J. early in the game, it was picked. You know, it wasn't a great throw. He was covered, but at some point you try to force the force the ball to your best receiver. I thought ECU tried to do that there and on another fade pass, and CJ right now unable to get that separation, so they're going to have to continue to try to find a way to work him more into the game. Uh, Keaton Mitchell, just two catches for seven yards. And Rajay Harris, one catch for five yards. So you only had three receivers catch footballs. Audio Matosho and Ryan Jones each had a drop apiece. So total offensively, you look at the numbers. So ECU finished with 
a total of 263 yards on 63 plays. And that's not terrible, but when you take out the Tyler Sneed pass, which was a 75-yard pass to start the game, if you take that out, East Carolina had 188 yards on 62 plays total. That is an average of 3.0 yards per play. That's tough. I think the longest play outside of that play was, you know, maybe a Rajay Harris 16-yard run. Actually, Holton had a 34-yard run, but that was it. No big pass plays. South Carolina was playing a lot of coverage, especially early in the game. That gave ECU some fits. So, you know, just a lot of issues with the offense, and it seemed like whatever the Pirates tried to dial up, it just didn't work. You know, we did see some motion. We saw some play action, bootleg. We saw some rollouts, and uh, to South Carolina's credit, they covered a lot of that, but there was also some poor execution on ECU side. Like when they did try to hit Ryan Jones on a play-action pass, first and 10 to start a crucial drive, he drops the ball on what would have likely been a first-down play. Josiah Hatfield drops the ball on a third and 10 on one of the, the good throws Holton Aylers made during the game. So this wasn't a Holton Aylers failure by himself. This was a total offensive failure. And on one hand, you credit South Carolina. They got two five-star defensive linemen. They got the, the nation's leading sack artist from Georgia State as a transfer. He's the backup to a projected top 15 pick in the NFL draft. So it's not like they're going against the little sisters of the poor here. So that had something to do with it. But at the end of the day, the offense still performed extremely poorly and should have been better. And for me, the biggest issue with this is this isn't this isn't like the defense, which is in the second year of a system with a ton of underclassmen. The offense has a third-year starting quarterback, third year in the system, and we just have not seen consistent improvement. We've seen flashes, and flashes are great when you're young and when you're rebuilding all that, but ECU is to the point now offensively where you should be more consistent, you should be better. Even if you're going against good teams, you should be able to execute at a much higher level than what we saw on Saturday, and the bottom line is it cost ECU a win and a very winnable game and a potential momentum-changing victory at home to get your biggest crowd in four years fired up. Instead, the offense laid an egg, and that's what made it, makes it so frustrating, especially when the offense, with, with Holton coming back, same system under Donnie Kirkpatrick, with some tight ends added to the mix, two good running backs, C.J. Johnson returning, Tyler Snee returning, you know, five offensive linemen back with starting experience, all those pieces back, they should not be starting the season this slow. Yes, App State's good. Yes, South Carolina has a good defense. But this offense should be better. Point blank, it should be better. I don't have the 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 first-hand answers. We'll get into some of the things I would like to see done differently in the questions. I just know it should be better. I've watched a lot of football. I'm not an expert. I'll be the first to admit it. I don't know crap about what plays they should run, what they're doing wrong, uh, you know, my job is to try to sit here and talk about it and answer you guys' questions as best, best as possible, but I'm not a coach. You know, we have Coach Brett Hickman on the board answering questions about what he would like to see different, what he likes, what he doesn't like. We'll try to get him on the podcast this week to diagnose some of the issues, but I, one thing I do know is it should be better. It should not look as sloppy as it looks in, in every phase, from the quarterback to the receivers to the offensive line at times, especially picking up pass protection issues in the first week. I thought they were better with that this week. But uh, it just seems like every week it's it's a different different deal. You know, when Holton's on, 
the receivers aren't playing well, the O-line isn't blocking well. It just seems like very few times that we get the offense clicking on the same pe- on the same page. And when it does happen against SMU to close the 2020 season, then everybody thinks the offense is finally turning the corner. They start the next season slow, just like they did last year when they, they closed the year strong against Cincinnati and SMU and UConn and played pretty well against Tulsa late in that game in 2019, and they start 2020 slow. So I don't know what they're doing in the offseason. I don't know if they're overthinking things in the offseason, changing too much, trying to implement too much, but they got to figure out a way to get this thing going. Otherwise, you're looking at another three-win season. This offense just has to be better, and that's the bottom line. All right, let's get into some of the questions on the Hoist the Colors message board. Um, You know, obviously, quick shout-out to the defense. We'll talk about them probably more towards the end of the show. I know a lot of people want to hear about the offensive struggles right now, uh, but the defense played its ass off. Yes, South Carolina had issues offensively, had some problems that EC took advantage of, but the defense was flying around. They were getting pressure. They were tackling in space. I thought they played their tails off and played more than good enough to win, and that's another frustrating aspect of this football game. All right, to the questions. Tarboro Bill with a very uh, poignant uh, he's got a gif of SpongeBob saying why with three question marks. And, um, yeah, we I think I just covered that. It, it's, it was, it's tough, tough to deal with, man. But I know you guys are frustrated. Hang in there. We'll continue to cover cover the team. You know, we do what we can control, which is cover the team like an SEC team to an extent and do what we can to provide the best coverage possible. And, you know, I still – believe in this coaching staff believe in these players but it is it has been a frustrating start to the 2021 season uh berg pirate he asks when will we make a change at offense coordinator or quarterback so this is the most popular question of course all right we'll start with the coordinator stuff you know donnie kirkpatrick mentioned the other day offensive struggles people are going to blame the head coach the oc and the quarterback and that comes with the territory so you know we're going to discuss it i think the oc Position, you know, year three, we talked about it. The the biggest thing that concerns me is the lack of growth from the quarterbacks and just the offense as a whole. You know, I thought Holt Naylor's his first year showed a lot of flashes, thought that would contribute or develop into more consistency in year two in 2020. It did not for the most part, and it hasn't translated to year three. So at some point, if you're doing the same thing and not seeing growth, then you have to wonder what's going on, you know, what what needs to change for there to be consistent growth? Is it the quarterback? Is it the system? Is it something else entirely? You know, probably the realistic answer is it's a, a combination of all of it. Um, I, you know, to me, you're not going to see a change. We talked about this last week. You're not going to see an offensive coordinator change midseason, unless maybe things just go completely off the rails, like they lose to Charleston Southern, they start like 0-6 or something crazy, which is not going to happen. So, you know, if that happens, maybe. But midseason, I just don't see much. I don't see much benefit to making an OC change in season as things stand now. Again, we talked about it. There's nobody really on staff that's called plays before that has OC experience. So you give Kirkpatrick and his staff the rest of this year to try and figure it out. And uh, you know, there's still ten games left, and I I get it. It has looked bad. This is year three, but there's still ten games left. Maybe they go on the road to Marshall. Something clicks and they they roll the rest of the season. You know, I don't know if I have much faith in that happening right now due to the way Marshall's playing and their talent level and how how much ECU has struggled offensively. But crazier things have happened. 
you know, people were calling for Lincoln Riley's head at one point in time early in his tenure at ECU. Uh, as far as the quarterback deal, uh, you know, same same type of situation. Year three for Holton Aylers in this offense. You know, I do expect more growth. I have been disappointed with the play to this point. But, you know, I'm just telling you guys, I've been out of practice, and, and sometimes guys are more gamers in games than, than they are practice. But Holton Aylers is by far and away ECU's best practice quarterback. You know, part of that could be attributed to the fact he gets to the large majority of the number one reps, so he's the most comfortable in the offense. Um, but, I, you know, to me, Holton has is, is, is been groomed and has taken a leadership role in the locker room. He gets all the work at practice. You know, of course, Mason is the number two, gets a few reps as well. But the majority goes to Holton. We've seen him perform in the past. It's not like he's never had success. Again, flashes, but no, no consistency. Uh, so I just don't see a change coming at quarterback from the staff because they don't seem to have much faith in this point in Mason Garcia. And I've, I've watched Mason practice and scrimmages and, and there is a major downfall from, from Holton to Mason and scrimmages. Now, Mason, I love the guy. I think he's got just huge upside physically, just elite athlete, elite arm strength, has to continue to refine his footwork and accuracy. But the biggest thing with Mason is this. You know, the mental side of the game, understanding defenses, understanding the decision-making from the quarterback position. You know, we saw it last year in the Navy game. It was overwhelming for him at times. Now, you can argue, of course, how is he going to get better if he's not playing? That's a fair argument. But to me, the ideal scenario to play Mason Garcia is you know he's the guy from day one of the offseason forward. You spend that entire offseason with Mason, developing him as a leader, developing him with all the number one reps in practice. That's the type of offseason Mason needs before he gets thrown into the fire as, hey, you're the guy. You're the full-time starter. He needs a full offseason, especially from a mental perspective, where he can take it in slowly from day one, take all the number one reps in the spring, all the number one reps in preseason camp, and that's how you're going to get the most efficient, Mason Garcia as a starter. Now, if you want to pull the plug on Holton Aylers this year, if things go off the rails, one and six, one and seven, whatever, and you start want to try and you know build for the future or try something different, that's fine too. Just know that that's not going to be the best possible scenario for Mason Garcia to succeed. Now, he can grow from those experiences, but there are going to be some rough patches along the way based on what I've seen in practice. Now, he might get out there in a game and and just be such a good athlete, such a good uh, talent that he can make things happen and, and ignite ECU's offense. But at the same time, I think ECU would play things extremely conservative offensively, even more conservative than they are now uh, with Mason Garcia at the helm due to kind of his his place in the offense right now compared to Holton Aylers. Holton basically has complete command of the offense, complete understanding and, yeah, that's not showing up right now on the field, but they do a lot of things. People say, oh, we played so conservative. Well, ECU still threw the ball a lot yesterday. Now, they didn't take many shots because South Carolina was playing coverage, but it's not like ECU was trying to just sit out there and run the clock out. Um, uh, so I, I think people thinking that if Mason comes in, you're going to see a completely different offense. I just don't see that this year. So if you go to Mason at some point, and I don't think it's anytime soon, I think they're going to roll with Holton because they, you know, Mike Mike Houston pretty much said after the game, Holton is their guy. They've given no indication that they're wanting to bench him. Um, 
you know, if you were to go with Mason, I think you would have to go with a pretty predominant run-heavy offense. And it could work because you got two good backs and a good running quarterback. And to me, a pretty good run-blocking offensive line. Um, but, you know, with, with Holton in there, I think you just have more that you can do right now. So that's kind of where it stands. Look, I get it. I would like to see, especially in a game yesterday, with Holton struggling like he was, got banged up on that play where he ran 34 yards, got thrown on his left shoulder. I thought that would have been a good opportunity to see Mason Garcia in the game for a snap or two. I know it was late in the half, so maybe not. But just I think when things are going that poorly, just let Holton watch from the sideline for a series or two. Let Mason get some some work. I mean, he's never going to grow as a quarterback. You're never going to instill any confidence in him or – within the coaching staff with him on the field if he's never able to get into the game. So I would like to see him worked into the game. That's my personal opinion. Uh, When the situation calls for it, um, especially like yesterday when the offense is struggling that badly. But, you know, and it could help Holton's psyche just to watch it from the sideline. Sometimes that vantage point can help you slow the game down a little bit. But they don't seem to want to do that right now. And at the end of the day, that's the coach's decision. Um, to make those calls, and right now they want to roll with Holt Nailers. All right, Yarum, he asks, can you talk me off the ledge, give us a reason to tune into the Marshall game? Where is the hope? Well, I mean, the hope is this. The defense played his tail off. They played good enough to win. And for me, I I think they're going to continue to get better. I think they're an extremely well-coached bunch. They look like they were – a unit on a mission yesterday and South Carolina had issues, but they were attacking. Uh, they were laying the wood. They were flying to the football. If they can continue that mindset and bottle it up and take it on the road, you're going to have a chance to win every week if your offense shows up. So, uh, as far as why should you get off the ledge? The other thing offensively next week, Marshall's good, but they are not South Carolina in the trenches and they aren't app state in the trenches. Now, you know, they have a good defensive front, and they've got a solid offensive front. But this is a game where ECU should be able to have much more success offensively. If they go up to Huntington and they can't score in terms of, you know, 25, upper 20s, low 30s, and can't find some offensive traction, then I'm going to be, you know, worried. Not that Marshall's a pushover defensively with what they have coming back, but this just should be a better matchup for ECU. They should take some confidence from how they were able to play up front against South Carolina and take that on the road and, you know, bounce back. I mean, one thing we will say about Holton Aylers is when he's had bad performances in the past, he has answered the bell the next week, and he's had some big performances following his his worst performances. So I do expect Holton Aylers to play better next week. I think Marshall's in an interesting place. You know, yes, they've looked extremely good through two games, but – they played Navy and they played North Carolina Central. Navy had 63 yards of offense yesterday versus Air Force. Clearly, things are not working with that option offense. And once you get behind in an option offense, things can, can spiral quickly, which it happened in the first game against Marshall. So you kind of almost have to throw out the first two games for Marshall. North Carolina Central, I mean, th- that game barely even counts. So they're 2-0. and they're good. They have talent. We know that. But I don't think this is an unwinnable game if the defense plays similar to how it did last week and the offense just gets better. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, the offense has to get a lot better. So I, I think next week's game is not unwinnable like a lot of people think. 
just based on the Navy score and based on how ECU has played. I mean, we know we saw App State could have easily won up Miami. They're a top 25 caliber team. ECU went toe-to-toe, probably should have beat a down SEC team at home. You know, what does that mean going to Marshall? I don't know if it counts for a whole lot, but I, I still think this team has a chance to be pretty good if they can figure out the offense. Now, at, that, at this point, it's a major question, so we'll see. But I still think there's hope for next week, and I think there's hope for the season. They've just got to figure out some things in a uh, short amount of time. If you somehow find a way to steal a win at Marshall, then all of a sudden you're looking at 2-2 two and two in a much brighter second half of the schedule, but we'll see what happens. All right, ECU Pirates 21, do you think that the staff will open up the quarterback competition to try and either push Holton or at least get Mason some reps with the first team? You know, we kind of touched on this earlier. I I don't think so. I mean, I think that they're set on Holton Aylers being the guy. You know, I do plan to ask this week, is there any thought of getting Mason into a game like that where the offense just is struggling or is there any thought of getting him in a game going forward? I will ask that, but just based on what I've seen in practice, based on what I've heard, I just don't think they trust Mason Garcia right now to go in and operate the offense as at the same level to where Holton can operate it if he's at his best. So um, that's just how I, I feel about it right now based on what I've seen. Maybe things will change. We'll ask this week, but that's all I have right now. All right, we got a few more questions. We're going to take a quick break on the Hoist Colors podcast. We'll be right back, and uh, thank you guys for listening. All right, Ty Pirate is our next question. He says, Steve and I am a longtime Hoist the Colors subscribers. subscriber who does a lot of reading and very little posting. Well, first off, Ty, thanks for your uh, support, man. Couldn't do it without you and uh, the rest of our subscribers. You guys mean the world to us. Uh, his question is, why do you think that we did not run the ball more yesterday? Looking at the box score, we were about 50-50 run to pass when you account for the five sacks. If there was ever a game to try and run the ball more than you did, it was yesterday, given how abysmal the passing game looked outside of the trick play. If we are really trying to build an offensive identity about controlling the ball in the line of scrimmage, yesterday was the time to do it, even against an SEC front seven. Mitchell and Harris together average over four yards a carry, which isn't spectacular, but is enough to get the job done and get first downs. It's overly simplistic, but if you swap out half of the incompletions for running plays, and to be fair, I don't know how many of the incompletions came on RPOs that could have well well have been runs. You were looking at picking up another 3.30 to four minutes of time possession. That could have gotten us roughly a 35-25 advantage in time of possession and been just what the doctor ordered to get the de- to keep the defense off the field a little more on a day when we asked a lot of them. Well, first off, man, uh, outstanding points across the board. You know, the funny thing, I just had to kind of laugh, like at the the point of the post, not that it's wrong at all. I actually agree with your take, but just so many ECU fans say, Mike Houston can't succeed here because he wants to run the football and build the offensive identity that way. And when you look at yesterday's game, it almost feels like if they would have done that, they would have won. You know, if they weren't throwing a screen pass up fourteen nothing right before the half and just sat on the ball, they probably win the game. So, you know, if, if I'm an ECU fan, it's hard to have it both ways. You know, you got one section of fans who say we need to be more wide open, more tempo, more aggressive. You got the other fans saying we should have ran the ball more, done it this way. That way, we could have not given them chances to to win a close, low scoring game. So. I do agree 
with your points, though, I feel like this was a game where ECU was able to turn out four to five yards of carry, even on critical drives. You know, that field goal drive was an impressive one. Holton did hit some big passes. Uh, it's a shame they couldn't fi- finish off with the touchdown there, but that was a great drive. That is kind of the drive ECU's offense envisions, taking up eight minutes off the clock in the second half, keeping the defense off the field, putting the defense on its heels. You know, there was a little bit of tempo in that drive, which I liked. So I do think at the end of the day, ECU is struggling with an offensive identity. And like I feel like they want to kind of be a power running team, but they also want to be a team that can spread the ball out and do both. But at the same time, they're having trouble doing both consistently. So I don't know. I mean, from what I've seen the first two games, I think ECU is a much better run blocking team than pass blocking at this point. Um, and maybe that is due to how South Carolina and App State have played ECU, but I do think there is a there really is something there with the running game. Like even though they haven't toted the rock a ton with Keaton Mitchell and Roger Harris, and I guess yesterday, you know the numbers. You look at the raw numbers. They did combine for twenty eight carries, which is actually quite a bit. But you could argue it even more. You know, get into that 30, 35 range, and maybe that's the difference in the game. And I thought it was working. You know, it wasn't like they were ripping off 10 to 12 yard runs, but like you mentioned, you don't have to do that to win a football game. So maybe that is a case where Donnie goes back, Mike Houston goes back, they look at the film and they say, hey, maybe this is the type of game we want to run the ball more and not throw the ball more. You know, they tried to, I thought they, they threw the ball a good amount on first downs where they tried to catch South Carolina in some some run-heavy defensive packages and some blitz packages, and they had a few plays that were drawn up good, and then they didn't execute. Um, They had some other plays on second down where they did the same thing. So they could have ran the ball more, I do agree, but at the end of the day, just I thought the offensive execution across the board was disappointing from the the tempo – to the quarterback play, to the drop passes, to the offensive line in the first half. I thought they struggled in pass pro before making some adjustments in the second half. So, you know, there are a lot of issues. I guess it is easy to second guess and say they should have done this, should have done that. But um, I do feel like they have to find a true identity at some point offensively. Like, are you going to lean on your two backs? If so, 28 carries combined is great, but... Why not go 35, 40 carries? Why not give each of them 20 carries a game? I know you don't want to wear them down, but I think 15 to 20 carries a game for those guys is fair um, as long as they continue to split time evenly. So, And we've we've talked about the the running quarterback situation at nauseum with Holton Aylers. I still think when they do design runs for Holton, it's led to success. I mean, you had the touchdown yesterday. You had the big run, the 34-yard scamper. So, on a draw play, uh, you had another draw play that got some positive yardage. So I still think I want to see more quarterback runs, but you know we've talked about that for three years now, and it kind of is what it is. So, um, but your point is a good one. I don't know if I even answered the question, but I, I do think the ultimate theme for me is they got to find a true identity offensively and stick to it. They got to find something that works that they know they can rely on in crunch time and stick with it. All right, Buck Nasty, what are your thoughts on the state of the locker room? This loss was devastating for the fan base, and I can only imagine the weight on the players. If I'm a player, I'm counting on Mike Houston making 
drastic offensive scheme and personnel changes this week. If not, I'm heavily considering the transfer portal and getting off a sinking ship with holes Houston refuses to repair. Well, I mean, I think that is, uh, you know, to be fair, to be frank, a little overreactionary. I mean, I don't get the vibe that the locker room is collapsing. You know, if they would have gone out there and gotten beaten 41 to nothing against a hamstrung South Carolina team, that's one thing, but they fought their asses off. Um, they played hard. You can question, you know, the schemes, the play calling, the execution, whatever, but, I, you know, it's not... I did. I don't see a team that's out there folding on each other, giving up on each other. Uh, you know, Holton Aylers after the game, he took ownership for the offense in the locker room, told the defense they played well enough to win. Like that to me is a sign of a mature locker room. They're not going to blame shift. They're not going to shift the blame from you know the offense is going to the defense is going to blame the offense publicly. You know, they're going to look at themselves in that final drive, say we should have got a stop and gotten the ball back to the offense. Now, we all realize the defense played well enough to win. I don't think anybody's thinking transfer portal after 0-2. You know, if they're 0-8, 1-7, maybe we're having a different conversation, but I just don't get that vibe right now. I'm sure the guys are, are down. They poured their heart and souls on the line. They wanted this game. It's important to them. Winning in front of uh, the fans who came back, 40,000-plus, is important to them. And they didn't get it done. So, you know, I'm sure, whatever, uh, maybe there's some conversations going on behind the scenes saying maybe we should have done this, maybe we should have done that amongst the players themselves. But that happens at every program across America after a loss. Like, I don't think anybody's saying, hey, I'm going to enter the transfer portal next week because we lost a three-point game to South Carolina. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody will. But I just don't get that vibe right now uh, to answer your question. Atlanta Pirate, his question is if Mike Houston – is the CEO of this team, and John Gilbert is the chairman of the board. How much influence does he have with Mike Houston and his overall strategy for this team? Uh, first, to answer that, I mean, my, you know, John Gilbert is Mike Houston's boss, but in terms of the strategy of the team, that is, that's all Mike Houston and his coaching staff. John Gilbert, um, you know, actually has some football experience, but, you know, he stays out of that. He is heavily involved with the program in terms of communicating with Coach Houston, but he's not going to get involved in the strategy uh, of the head coach and, tr- and and try to influence anything there. Basically, he's not Jerry Jones. Uh, and is John aware of the eroding support that the community and the fan base seems to have for Coach Houston? What options or levers can Gilbert take to help write this program, he asked, short of ending Mike Houston's contract? Seems like he is in the best position to try and get some clarity as to what Houston's plan for is improving the performance I mean those those questions are fair uh you know John Gilbert is not dumb he knows it's year three of a five-year contract I think everybody within the athletic department expects uh improved results this year in terms of wins and losses again it's two out of 12 games we all said ECU could go 0-3 in this stretch or 3-0 and unfortunately we might be looking at 0-3 it doesn't mean just because ECU started 0-2, they can't still have a successful season. Um, so to me, like, yeah, there's you got the fans who are up in arms after an 0-2 start, and I get it because the losing sucks and people are numb to it. They're tired of it. But John Gilbert's a pretty level-headed administrator. He's not going to go into Mike Houston's offense and say, hey, you need to change the offense this week or I'm going to fire you. I mean, that's just not the type of AD John Gilbert is. He's a patient athletic director. He's going to sit back, evaluate the situation. He's going to take the entire season in. 
then he'll probably, you know, he'll meet with Coach Houston after every game. But in terms of like an evaluation performance, he's going to evaluate the entire season as a whole, not react game to game like fans do. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. That's how administrators view it. They have to view it in terms of unless things go completely off the rails, you know, Charleston Southern comes in here and beats ECU by 40 points, then yeah, you might have to take some swift action. But other than that, I think Gilbert is going to play the long game. And, you you know, ECU is not in a financial position where they can fire anybody right now. I, I think Mike Houston, and I think he should get all five years of his contract. Will he have to continue to adjust to succeed at ECU? Probably so, based on the results we've seen uh, three, three years. So, I still think long-term he's got a good vision for the program. He's built a tremendous culture. I do think you know there are some things they can do differently from a coaching perspective that they've got to continue to adjust to the current personnel and the personnel you're going to get at East Carolina. Um, but you know if you view it as he's in year three of five and he's at the start of year three, technically he's not halfway through his five-year contract. So he's going to get all five years unless disaster strikes. And so Pirate fans... Uh, I'm not going to say the patient word because I know people are are tired of hearing it, but at, you know it's just the reality of the situation. He's going to get all five years, so hang in there. Continue to support the guys, and we'll see what happens. Um, next question: Kiss my cast. Why? Uh, that always cracks me up. Why doesn't watching the tape help us out at all? Well, I mean, watching the tape helped out the defense this past week. I thought they were much better in terms of evaluating what went wrong against Appalachian State and correcting that. Um, much better in run defense. The defensive line played tremendously. You know, they were selling out to stop the run in certain aspects, which is why the corners were left out on the island. But I thought watching the help defensively made a big difference. Uh, watching the tape offensively, I thought the running game was improved. Uh, the passing game, all sorts of issues. We know that. So, you know, I know you're being a little tongue-in-cheek with the question, but you know, watching the tape, that's just what every, every coach does in America. So it's part of the process. And really, you watch a game live. You know, even, the, even the coaches that know what's going on, they can't even fully evaluate what all 11 players did on the field in the moment on both sides of the ball. So you have to go back and watch the tape, watch the game, to really get a feel for what truly happened. Hey, the quarterback missed this throw but was the wide receiver at the right depth? Did he have somebody rushing at him off his blind side? Where was the defense playing in relation to the receiver? Did that influence the throw? I mean, you just have to go back and view every aspect of every play to get a true feel for it. We as fans don't want to wait to watch the tape. We want to have an immediate reaction, an immediate take that, hey, somebody sucks or somebody's great and this is why. And that's part of the world today. That's part of being in media. I guess it is what it is, but... Watching the tape does help, and it's something that every program in America does. All right, our next set of questions comes from Pirate Treasure NC. He says, are there trends in the offensive schemes at Mike Houston's prior spots that have led to what you're seeing here? Do you think those can work here at this level? Well, he ran the triple option at Lenore Ryan, the Citadel. So, I mean, unless he brings the triple option to East Carolina, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, as far as James Madison, you know, the one – I guess concern I had when he brought his staff here was they had such elite talent for their level. You know, they were able to really succeed just based on almost talent alone. Yeah, scheme had something to do with it, but they were able to out-talent pretty much everybody. And so trying to do that at ECU, you're just not going to be able to line up and 
and play and beat everybody 11 on 11. You have to scheme people up to have success at East Carolina. Um, Next question, is he still recruiting talent to operate the scheme as he sees it? In other words, does he have positions to fill still for for what he wants to do? Yeah, I mean, I think he has recruited a ton of linemen on both sides of the ball to fit his scheme. Uh, Those guys are still young. I think the most talented offensive linemen in the program, in many cases, are still freshmen and sophomores, so I like the future there. Defensively, same type of deal. That entire group is freshmen and sophomores. Um, You know, they've recruited some good corners who are young who are going to help. They've recruited a ton of safeties to really upgrade the safety room. You know, the one position I'm a little concerned about going forward is the receiver room. I feel like they have to get better in the wide receiver room, whether it's a transfer or something. I just feel like there's a a drop-off in talent there right now compared to maybe the, the rough years where they were able to have a star receiver almost every year. Yeah, Sneed's a dynamic slot receiver. C.J. Johnson's good. But outside of that, I just don't see, like, a major threat. Hatfield's a big play threat, but is inconsistent right now. You got some young guys, Tyler Savage, Tazi Hudson, but those guys are unproven. So the the one position I'm concerned about right now is, is wide receiver. You know, they've upgraded the tight end room. I think the offensive line room is, is well in its way. I think the talent's there. I just think they got to execute better. They got to, you know, scheme it up better. They got to do some things. Uh, continue to adjust and, and just be better. Uh, what offensively have you seen change with how we ran, with how no ran offense for Holton? Okay, how uh, I was trying to figure out the question. How Mo ran the offense for Holton in year one versus how it's ran his three years under Mike Houston. Well, when Mo was here and Tony Peterson was the coordinator, they basically just they I mean they put the ball in Holton's hands eighteen to twenty times a game on the ground and threw it about 40 or 50 times he came. You know, he was basically running the Tim Tebow offense on steroids. He was the guy almost every play because that offense just didn't have much at all around him outside of Trayvon Brown. And so it worked at times, but it just was not sustainable. Holton was beat up at the end of that year. Um, I think he had like a, I can't remember what exactly the issues were. I think a finger issue. He was just bruised and battered at the end of the year. He had another problem as well. So, like, that's unsustainable, but I still think, you know, 10 rushes for Holton in terms of design runs is fair, especially with the way that ECU can run the football. With those two backs, I feel like you could really almost commit to a pretty dynamic three-headed running attack with Holton, Rajay, and Keaton and have a lot of success that way. And, you know, maybe not totally ditch the drop-back passing game, but just really commit to the run and play action games similar to what App State does um, and have more success that way. But it's tough to really change what you're doing midseason. Uh, what could the offense easily adapt to, he asked, that is differently different to get some more productivity? We'll kind of hit on it there, but I, I still think more tempo. We touched on it going into the game. You know, more tempo, more runs uh, in terms of RPO, read option with Holton, and Keaton Mitchell and Roger Harris continue to get the ball in those guys' hands as much as possible. Uh, like, I thought South Carolina, you know, there wasn't really a series where South Carolina just absolutely stuffed the run multiple times in a row. So, again, fans bitch and whine about running the football, but if it's working and you're going to win the game that way, there's no problem with sticking to it, even if you're not hitting the 60, 70-yard run. All right, final questions here from ECU for you and me. He's got a a number of them. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate the following? And please explain. Offensive productivity, 
All right, we'll start there. Offensive productivity, I mean, for the season, I would say a three. Yesterday, I would say a one. Um, I mean, it just has not been good. QB play execution, I would say similar. Uh, play calling, QB preparation, QB development. I mean, all this, I would say, you know, three, three, four. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's tough to fully rate those things because we're not in the building. I I think with QB development, we touched on it earlier, the lack of consistency in terms of progress has been a sticking point for me. We just have not seen the offense and the quarterback consistently improve from day one to now. And to me, that is a problem. And I think that is a, a major issue why we have not seen the team improve because the offense should be getting better and the quarterback should be improving within the offense over time. That has not happened. Um, is it on the quarterback? Is it on the play caller? Is it on the players around him? Again, we don't have the answers. We're not in the meeting rooms. We're not watching the tape. We're not bringing it all down. You know, the the likely scenario is it's all the above. So if it's an all offensive issue, how do you fix that? You know, midseason, that's a tough fix. I don't have the answer for it, but there's 10 games to go. There's 10 games for them to find the answers. Um, he's got a lot of more questions here about the offense. Are we maximizing our players' talents? Is our play calling conservative, predictable? Can we expect Donnie Kirkpatrick to improve in his play calling? Is he a good quarterback coach? Through two games, give a grade, grade to our OCDC head coach. I mean, lots to digest there. I mean, at times I think the play calling is conservative, but then at times people say it's it's not conservative enough. People say, why are we throwing screens? up 14 nothing. why are we just running the ball and playing for the field goal? Well, if they run the ball, play for the field goal, and then miss the field goal, then everybody's bitching about how they play conservative. So, you know, it's easy to second-guess a coach after a mistake like that. I mean, I do think there could be things that are coached better. There could be things that are called better, as with any team, as with any game. Uh, can we expect Donnie Kirkpatrick to improve in his play con as far as that? You know, you would hope so. There's 10 more games left. The more he calls plays with this personnel, the more he should improve, in theory. Through two games, please give our grade to our OC, defensive coordinator, head coach. Uh, I mean, you know, for me, you're 0-2, so I think everybody gets an F. You haven't won a game. I mean, the defensive coordinator has has obviously improved the unit. Game one to game two, can he continue that? You know, the offense has not improved from uh, last year to this point. There's 10 games to go. We'll see how it looks at the end of the season. The head coach, you're 0-2, so it's, it's hard to say, you know, any of it's been a, a resounding success. But, you know, there's been bright spots. You know, your your post is generally negative. ECU for you and me. I mean, I get where you're going at. You're frustrated with the offense, but... The question, I mean, the, the way you ask your questions, you're going to get negative answers because the reality of the situation is it hasn't been a good two games. It's been difficult to watch offensively. And we've touched on that throughout this podcast. So to me, the offense simply has to get better. That's what the coaches are paid to do. That's what the players are recruited for. So it's up to them to get in there and fix it this week. And that's the bottom line. You go into Marshall, you're playing a tough opponent. But you got a chance to write your season. You find a way to win this game, everything changes. The narrative changes. You go from looking at 0-3 to 1-2 with a lot of optimism going into a winnable game against Charleston Southern. So another big week is coming up. And that's the beauty of football is you get to play 12 games. If you start 0-2, you know, you're not going to 
in your season 0 and 2. You got 10 more games to determine how you're going to go from here. So I, I you know, I think this team is still united. I think they will bounce back. I don't know if they'll beat Marshall. Marshall's really good. It's going to be another challenge. Huntington is not an easy place to play. Their fans will be fired up to welcome ECU. And it's a big game for Marshall due to the, the ties between the two schools. So uh, they'll get Marshall's best shot, especially coming off playing North Carolina Central. ECU is going to have to put this one behind them quickly, figure out some things offensively, sustain the success defensively. But so good about itself defensively, otherwise you get satisfied and you quit working. So um, Blake Carroll, I'm sure, will be drilling that into the guys this week. So a lot to still improve upon on both sides of the ball. It's going to take a complete effort to win at Marshall. There's no doubt about that. So we'll see what happens, guys. Uh, you know, I tried to answer the questions as best I could. I know you all are frustrated. Uh, it's frustrated to, to cover the team sometimes when they don't win, but we try to do our best. Uh, looking forward to another game week. I mean, we'll continue to cover this thing as best as possible, as in-depth as possible. We'll have uh, continued coverage throughout Sunday, uh, throughout Monday, and then we'll start really turning the page to Marshall on Tuesday when we have our weekly press conference with uh, Coach Houston and some players. All right, appreciate you guys listening to our post-game podcast. Uh, we will be back later this week. We'll try and get a guest on to uh, help diagnose the upcoming game as well as talk about the issues with South Carolina as well. And you've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast.